Hello, everyone, and welcome to localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Jenna Konar, and you're listening to Employment Notebook, where we speak with expert guests on a variety of topics related to employment and the workplace. Today, we're talking about the dilemma of the career coma. So you may be in a career coma if you find yourself comfortable at work, but lacking in the motivation or drive to achieve more in your career. So to learn more about the career coma and how you can successfully come out of that, we're speaking with Lisa Gates. Lisa is a negotiation consultant, professional coach and trainer, and co-founder of She Negotiates which is a coaching firm that helps women identify obstacles in their lives, craft a plan, and learn how to negotiate that plan. Thanks so much for joining me today, Lisa. Oh, you're welcome. It is my great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, and we're so glad you could be here. So before we dive into the topic of the career coma, Mm -hmm. do you want to tell me briefly about your professional background and your experience working with job seekers and employees? Sure. Well, let's see. I had a career that that involved several industries, including marketing and public relations, advertising, a little freelance writing, as well as education and training for a couple of nonprofits. So kind of all over the place. You know, you add to that a degree in theater and training in journalism. And so I had an extensive experience doing theater and improv. And like a lot of people in their 40s, I reinvented myself about eight years ago, got certified as a coach, did mediation training, and then went on to found She Negotiates Consulting and Training and have been working with job seekers and job havers Mm -hmm. ever since. Mostly women, but a lot of men too. And then I know the the article that we're talking about today, it's the one titled Career Coma, the top five reasons you should always have one foot out the door. Mm -hmm. You explore this topic of a career coma. Is this something that you have come across a lot with the job seekers and the employees that you're working with? And could you describe exactly what you mean by career coma? Well, first, let me describe what it means, and then I'll answer that second piece. It's really allowing... I'd say the engines of commerce to have their way, its way with your life energy, to be complacent and disengaged, resigned about what's possible in your career. And I think uh, the research statistics on this are that only 30% of the workforce is actually engaged. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of a horrible place to be. It's kind of contagious too. Mm -hmm. So we typically in our consulting work don't work a lot with people who are completely disengaged, unless they're making a career transition, a big change, like no longer want to do this, want to completely do something different. That usually falls to me, being the coach in the group, a lot different than, say, negotiation consulting, where we've got a job opportunity that we're strategizing. Okay. And I know in your article, you also mentioned how career coma, it doesn't always have to be someone who doesn't like their job. Sometimes it can Mm -hmm. be someone who does like their job or maybe even loves their job. Yeah. So why are these people still in danger of falling into the career coma? Well, you know, I think we saw with the recession that anything can happen. So there's a danger in being too comfortable, Mm -hmm. thinking that you have job security. And when this happens, we typically don't do the things that are associated with growing our careers, say, keeping in touch 
with your network and being valuable to your network, both internal and external influencers. We don't challenge ourselves by putting our hat in the ring for special projects. These are the things that kind of that really go far to protect your future potential, you know, while being realistic about the fact that you could be fired at any time. Mm-hmm. So you really need to act like you're in job seeking mode all the time. That's really my perspective. You had mentioned that we don't always challenge ourselves in our career. What are some other reasons that maybe people are willingly choosing to stay in a career coma? Yeah, that's a great question. I have, gosh, maybe three or four answers to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the easiest one is that most of us hate change, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we may not like our job, it seems easier to stay than try to find a new one. This is especially true for women. I think the second reason is what Sheryl Sandberg calls leaning out. Mm-hmm. You know, her famous example is a woman who knows she's going to take a breather for a baby. And instead of protecting her career, like I just described, you know, protecting her eventual return to work, she leans out. She does the minimum, doesn't ask for raises or promotions, just keeps her head down with her career on idle. You know, that that's the second version of it. But I think the primary reason is that for those, say, in middle management, and the preponderance of those people are women, the path to leadership becomes really kind of gray. They have, say, a great personal brand. They have confidence, the ability to negotiate and resolve conflict. They communicate really effectively. You know, that part of their brand is solid. And they're also, say, good at inspiring others and leading them to accomplish the goals of the company. But these same people are repeatedly told when they're seeking promotions that, I'm sorry, you just don't have the experience. Hmm. And they get passed over. So I think that as it turns out, the missing ingredient is really gaining the business, financial, and strategic acumen required at the leadership level. Now, this may sound like, you know, the onus is all on the employee, but Mm -hmm. organizations and leadership are also really gray and ineffective at training people for this kind of intelligence and that kind of capacity. So you've got this organizational structural problem from, say, the board and leadership level all the way down to HR and training. You know, engagement flags when you see no clear path and you're not being put up for the kinds of things that would make your career soar. So it sounds like it's maybe a combination of not just things that the employee is doing, but maybe some things that the company is doing or not doing as far as training their employees for further success. Absolutely. Now, you know, a lot of times with our negotiation clients, one of the things we do is help them tie their requests and their their priorities, what they, you know, tie everything that they want to the business case. Like, why will it be good for the company? How will it improve the bottom line? How does putting you in that position set them up for success? So a lot of times people just go in and, and, and kind of talk about their successes and, you know, what's valuable about them, but they forget to circle back and tie it in to the business imperative you know, the business case for hiring them or promoting them. As far as from the employee side of it, 
in your article that we're discussing today, you explained why it's important to always have one foot out the door. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go through each one of the reasons you stated in your article of for employees who may be listening who want to get out of their career coma or they think maybe they're starting to get into one and they want to avoid it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the first reason that you listed was, I've already done my best work because I always do my best work. I have nothing left to prove if I ever did. So why would you say that it is important for employees to always have something bigger to achieve? Well, let, let's circle back and like the, let's talk about the premise of the article because okay. it was about a person who lost her job in the Great Recession mm-hmm. and then she volunteered at an animal shelter, a choice that led to an offer for the executive director role at the shelter for a salary of 75 k Mm-hmm. Then her old job called to offer her position back at a salary of 150 k mm-hmm. She declined that, and she took the job that she'd wanted to do her entire life, right? Right. So dealing with that, you know, what does she have to prove, or why is there always something bigger to achieve? I think it's not so much having more to achieve, but achieving the right thing, the kind of choice that's aligned with both your values and your aspirations and gives you a sense of making a contribution or a positive change. And if that isn't your place of work, why would you stay? It doesn't have to be a shelter job, right? But but Mm -hmm. if there's really nothing in it for you, you're going nowhere, you're treading water, wow, that's a long time to be miserable. Right. And so then the next uh, reason that you stated was, I'm modeling to every person I love, and every person I've ever worked with, that good decisions may be painful and beautiful at the same time. Mm -hmm. So could you go through what you meant by this and maybe how this can affect those who are finding themselves in a career coma? Yes, I'd love to answer that. Again, these were her words. So turning down 150K for 75, you could say that's painful financially, but actually fulfilling in terms of a lifelong passion. So You know, at some other time in her life, she actually made the opposite decision. She wanted to build her resume and build her bank account and a nonprofit job at that point in her career for, you know, a smaller amount of money would be irresponsible. Mm. And it was to this client earlier in her career, she would have never made that choice. But I think about this, you know, I have a son who's just about to graduate from high school. And I think that every action or inaction demonstrates to my son who I am Mm -hmm. uh, and who it's possible for me to be and also who he is and who it's possible for him to be. So I want, you know, for our children, for the people that we work with or may report to us, it's good to see that some decisions are really painful, Mm -hmm. but also really healthy. And then moving into the next statement that you had in the article, my new career accomplishments would make a bestseller and I'd make a great living as a pundit. Does this relate to the idea of knowing everything already about your current job and not having anything new to achieve or anything new to learn? You know, it's funny. I feel like I'm being interviewed by my English teacher and oh. you're making me want to rewrite this article. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is these are her words. And what she meant by that was that she was re- really ready to take a huge leap into right livelihood. And her contributions were going to do great things for the welfare of animals. And in that light, she's 
really ready to be the spokesperson, the mouthpiece, the advocate to step out and, you know, advocate for change. So that's really what the pundit piece meant, um, if I'm interpreting her correctly. Okay. And then the last uh, statement that she had was, I don't want to say, but I never at the end of my days. I know this is something that a lot of people have in mind when they're thinking about their career and looking back on their life, how they're going to view that. Right. So why would you say pursuing our dream career goals are going to be more important than pursuing our realistic career goals? That is such a great question. It's really a question of great privilege when you think about it. You know, this is a a little, I'm going to wander off a little philosophically, but there's never been a time in our country, maybe even our world, when, you know, great numbers of people aren't suffering and trying to make ends meet, you know, not to mention maybe finding enough food to sustain themselves. So, you know, a dream for a person, say, in poverty might be to have a full stomach. And a dream for an engineer might be to invent a new app, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, are their dreams realistic? Yeah. Are they probable? Uh, Who knows? It depends on a whole host of variables. But if we circle back to, you know, the issue of where the learning and development in training in companies breaks down at the business and strategy level, what we were talking about before, If that aspect of career development is clearly defined in the company, I'd say the picture of what's realistically achievable completely changes. So I don't know. I tend to go out on a limb for not just what's realistic, but to swing way out into what's possible, Hmm. just kind of stretch and push the pendulum a little past, you know, its edge. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little far farther than what you would feel comfortable doing. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Otherwise, you you risk the coma. Mm -hmm. Then I was wondering if you could share any stories of friends or maybe uh, clients that you've worked with who have experienced this, the career coma, and who have been able to escape it successfully. Yeah, I do have lots of examples. I Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most recent examples with a client who was a real estate lawyer. And she was basically doing construction work, uh, construction law. And she wanted to move into the development side of the organization. She wanted to bring in clients, deals. So her opportunity was to be a rainmaker. And the problem was that her current boss, this is what we were talking about before, didn't see her potential. Hmm. He didn't recommend her, despite the fact that she always got stellar performance reviews, great 360 reviews from all of her peers and and reports in the company. So she was really ready to leave. She was definitely in a career coma. I think the good news with her was that she had a great relationship with the CEO and he didn't want to lose her. So her negotiation challenge was to help him see that she understood the company's goals and the strategies and that she had to, you know, the business intelligence to pull off this new position, this development role. You know, I helped her build her case, build her proposal, and all of the persuasive arguments that made her the unavoidable choice. And what happened was she doubled her salary. Oh, wow. So for a lawyer, that's mm-hmm. saying a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's just a matter of, I think, in part, dreaming Mm -hmm. and logic. 
and practicality. How do you work through these steps? How do you make sure that you're treating your career strategically mm-hmm. and not just hoping for things to happen, but really going at things with a plan and mm-hmm. a proposal that works? And it sounds like confidence definitely plays a factor as well, going in with a plan, but also having the confidence to back it up. Right. I think the plan actually, well, your whole life experience, work experience gives Mm -hmm. you that confidence. Mm -hmm. But having kind of a structure to play by, a strategic plan helps you immensely in terms of having that confidence. So we're actually running short on our time today, but I wanted to give you the floor for the last uh, 30 seconds or a minute or so just to uh, give our listeners any final words of advice or thoughts on this topic, especially for listeners who maybe maybe they're in the career coma themselves or they have been or they feel that maybe they're leading into that. What final advice would you give to those listeners? That's a great question, too. I really appreciate that. You know, I think I would ask, what are the conditions of satisfaction? What are the conditions of joy for me? I mean, for you to ask that Mm -hmm. about your life. Because you think about it, why are some people just deliriously happy, you know, no matter what? Sometimes in dire circumstances, right? Right. So I think that a lot of people who are happy in their jobs, you know, or maybe not so happy, don't ever ask themselves the question, you know, did building this database give me joy? Did it give me great pleasure? I think a lot of people would actually say yes, that what they actually do day in and day out gives them joy. Mm -hmm. You know, writing code, designing a website, turning a cranky customer into a satisfied one. Those are leadership activities and accomplishments that make us happy. They bring us rewards and respect, title, authority, money. So if it doesn't translate to joy for some reason, maybe you're not asking yourself, what are the conditions of satisfaction for me? And how am I going to go about getting that? And sometimes it's about turning the job you're in into one that you love rather than, you know, the grass is always greener out there. Mm -hmm. What can you do presently to create joy or happiness in your work environment before you go out and try to get a new one? Sort of like you're unhappy with your your current boyfriend or husband Mm -hmm. (laughs) or wife and you go, I'm going to get a new one. (laughs) Well, no, (laughs) maybe you should figure out what made, you know, what, what really would make you both happy. And with that last bit of advice, we will wrap up the show now. You've been listening to Employment Notebook with our guest, Lisa Gates. Lisa is the co-founder of She Negotiates. You can find out more by visiting the website shenegotiates.com. And as always, we love to hear from the listeners as well. So send us your suggestions or feedback to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter under at the LJN. Once again, I'm Jenna Konar, and thanks for joining us. 